Part 3, Propositions 1-5 to of The Ethics by Spinoza. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Ethics by Benedict Spinoza. Translated by R. H. M. Ells. Part 3, Propositions 1-5. to Proposition 1. Our mind is in certain cases active, and in certain cases passive. In so far as it has adequate ideas, it is necessarily active, and in so far as it has inadequate ideas, it is necessarily passive. Proof. In every human mind there are some adequate ideas, and some ideas that are fragmentary and confused. Part 2. Proposition 40. Note. Those ideas which are adequate in the mind are also adequate in God inasmuch as he constitutes the essence of the mind. Part 2. Proposition 40. Corollary. And those which are inadequate in the mind are likewise, by the same corollary, adequate in God, not inasmuch as he contains in himself the essence of the given mind alone, but as he, at the same time, contains the minds of other things. Again, from any given idea some effect must necessarily follow. Part 1. Proposition 36. Of this effect, God is the adequate cause. Part 3. Definition 1. Not inasmuch as he is infinite, but inasmuch as he is conceived as affected by the given idea. Part 2. Proposition 9. But of that effect, whereof God is the cause, inasmuch as he is affected by an idea, which is adequate in a given mind, of that effect, I repeat, the mind in question is the adequate cause. Part 2. Proposition 11. Corollary. Therefore our mind, insofar as it has adequate ideas, Part 3, Definition 2, is in certain cases necessarily active. This was our first point. Again, whatsoever necessarily follows from the idea which is adequate in God, not by virtue of his possessing in himself the mind of one man only, but by virtue of his containing together with the mind of that one man, the minds of other things also, of such an effect, Part 2, Proposition 11, Corollary, the mind of the given man is not an adequate, but only a partial cause. Thus, Part 3, Definition 2, the mind, inasmuch as it has inadequate ideas, is in certain cases necessarily passive. This was our second point. Therefore our mind, etc., quad eret, demonstrandum. Corollary. Hence it follows that the mind is more or less liable to be acted upon in proportion as it possesses inadequate ideas and contrariwise is more or less active in proportion as it possesses adequate ideas. Proposition 2. Body cannot determine mind to think, neither can mind determine body to motion or rest or any state different from these if such there be. Proof. All modes of thinking have for their cause God, by virtue of his being a thinking thing, and not by virtue of his being displayed under any other attribute. Part 2. Proposition 6. That, therefore, which determines the mind to thought, is a mode of thought, and not a mode of extension. That is, Part 2. Definition 1. It is not a body. This was our first point. Again, 
the motion and rest of a body must arise from another body, which has also been determined to a state of motion or rest by a third body, and absolutely everything which takes place in a body must spring from God, in so far as he is regarded as affected by some mode of extension, and not by some mode of thought. Part 2. Proposition 6. That is, it cannot spring from the mind, which is a mode of thought. This was our second point. Therefore body cannot determine mind, etc. Quad erit demonstrandum. Note. This is made more clear by what was said in the note to Part 2, Proposition 7, namely, that mind and body are one and the same thing. Conceive first under the attribute of thought, secondly under the attribute of extension. Thus it follows that the order or concatenation of things is identical, whether nature be conceived under the one attribute or the other. Consequently, the order of states of activity and passivity in our body is simultaneous in nature with the order of states of activity and passivity in the mind. The same conclusion is evident from the manner in which we proved Part 2, Proposition 12. Nevertheless, though such is the case, and though there be no further room for doubt, I can scarcely believe, until the fact is proved by experience, that men can be induced to consider the question calmly and fairly, so firmly are they convinced that it is merely at the bidding of the mind that the body is set in motion or at rest, or performs a variety of actions depending solely on the mind's will or the exercise of thought. However, no one has hitherto laid down the limits to the powers of the body, that is, no one has as yet been taught by experience what the body can accomplish solely by the laws of nature, in so far as she is regarded as extension. No one hitherto has gained such an accurate knowledge of the bodily mechanism that he can explain all its functions. Nor need I call attention to the fact that many actions are observed in the lower animals which far transcend human sagacity, and that somnambulists do many things in their sleep which they would not venture to do when awake. These instances are enough to show that the body can by the sole laws of its nature do many things which the mind wonders at. Again, no one knows how or by what means the mind moves the body, nor how many various degrees of motion it can impart to the body, nor how quickly it can move it. Thus, when men say that this or that physical action has its origin in the mind, which latter has dominion over the body, they are using words without meaning or are confessing in specious phraseology that they are ignorant of the cause of the said action, and do not wonder at it. But, they will say, whether we know or do not know the means whereby the mind acts on the body, we have, at any rate, experience of the fact that unless the human mind is in a fit state to think, the body remains inert. Moreover, we have experienced that the mind alone can determine whether we speak or are silent, and a variety of similar states which, accordingly, we say depend on the mind's decree. But as to the first point, I ask such objectors whether experience does not also teach that if the body be inactive, the mind is simultaneously unfitted for thinking? For when the body is at rest in sleep, the mind simultaneously is in a state of torpor also and has no power of thinking, such as it possesses when the body is awake. 
Again, I think everyone's experience will confirm the statement that the mind is not at all times equally fit for thinking on a given subject, but according as the body is more or less fitted for being stimulated by the image of this or that object, so also is the mind more or less fitted for contemplating the said object. But, it will be urged, it is impossible that solely from the laws of nature considered as extended substance, we should be able to deduce the causes of buildings, pictures, and things of that kind, which are produced only by human art. Nor would the human body, unless it were determined and led by the mind, be capable of building a single temple. However, I have just pointed out that the objectors cannot fix the limits of the body's power, or say what can be concluded from a consideration of its soul nature, whereas they have experience of many things being accomplished solely by the laws of nature, which they would never have believed possible except under the direction of mind. Such are the actions performed by somnambulists while asleep, and wondered at by their performers when awake. I would further call attention to the mechanism of the human body, which far surpasses in complexity all that has been put together by human art. Not to repeat what I have already shown, namely, that from nature, under whatever attribute she be considered, infinite results follow. As for the second objection, I submit that the world would be much happier if men were as fully able to keep silence as they are to speak. Experience abundantly shows that men can govern anything more easily than their tongues, and restrain anything more easily than their appetites. When it comes about that many believe that we are only free in respect to objects which we moderately desire, because our desire for such can easily be controlled by the thought of something else frequently remembered, but that we are by no means free in respect to what we seek with violent emotion, for our desire cannot then be allayed with the remembrance of anything else. However, unless such persons had proved by experience that we do many things which we afterwards repent of, and again that we often, when assailed by contrary emotions, see the better and follow the worse, there would be nothing to prevent their believing that we are free in all things. Thus an infant believes that of its own free will it desires milk. An angry child believes that it freely desires vengeance. A timid child believes that it freely desires to run away. Further, a drunken man believes that he utters from the free decision of his mind words which, when he is sober, he would willingly have withheld. Thus, too, a delirious man, a garrulous woman, a child, and others of like complexion believe that they speak from the free decision of their mind when they are in reality unable to restrain their impulse to talk. Experience teaches us no less clearly than reason that men believe themselves to be free simply because they are conscious of their actions, and unconscious of the causes whereby those actions are determined. And, further, it is plain that the dictates of the mind are but another name for the appetites, and therefore vary according to the varying states of the body. Everyone shapes his actions according to his emotion. Those who are assailed by conflicting emotions know not what they wish. Those who are not attacked by any emotion are readily swayed this way or that. All these considerations clearly show that a mental decision and a bodily appetite or determined state are simultaneous, or rather are one and the same thing, 
which we call decision, when it is regarded under and explained through the attribute of thought, and a conditioned state, when it is regarded under the attribute of extension, and deduced from the laws of motion and rest. This will appear yet more plainly in the sequel. For the present, I wish to call attention to another point, namely, that we cannot act by the decision of the mind unless we have a remembrance of having done so. For instance, we cannot say a word without remembering that we have done so. Again, it is not within free power of mind to remember or forget a thing at will. Therefore, the freedom of the mind must in any case be limited to the power of uttering or not uttering something which it remembers. But when we dream that we speak, we believe that we speak from a free decision of the mind, yet we do not speak, or, if we do, it is by a spontaneous motion of the body. Again, we dream that we are concealing something, and we seem to act from the same decision of the mind as that, whereby we keep silence when awake concerning something we know. Lastly, we dream that from the free decision of our mind we do something, which we should not dare to do when awake. Now I should like to know whether there be in the mind two sorts of decisions, one sort elusive and the other sort free. If our folly does not carry us so far as this, we must necessarily admit that the decision of the mind, which is believed to be free, is not distinguishable from the imagination or memory, and nothing is more than the affirmation which an idea, by virtue of being an idea, necessarily involves. Part 2 Proposition 49 Wherefore these decisions of the mind arise in the mind by the same necessity as the ideas of things actually existing. Therefore those who believe that they speak or keep silence or act in any way from the free decision of their mind do but dream with their eyes open. Proposition 3 the activities of the mind arise solely from adequate ideas. The passive states of the mind depend solely on inadequate ideas. Proof. The first element, which constitutes the essence of the mind, is nothing else but the idea of the actually existent body. Part 2, Propositions 11 and 13, which, Part 2, Proposition 15, is compounded of many other ideas, whereof some are adequate and some inadequate. Part 2, Proposition 29, Corollary. Part 2, Proposition 38, Corollary. Whatsoever, therefore, follows from the nature of mind, and has mind for its proximate cause, through which it must be understood, must necessarily follow either from an adequate or from an inadequate idea. But insofar as the mind, Part 3, Proposition 1, as inadequate ideas, it is necessarily passive. Wherefore, the activities of the mind follow solely from adequate ideas, and accordingly the mind is only passive in so far as it has inadequate ideas. Quad erit demonstrandum. Note, thus we see that passive states are not attributed to the mind, except in so far as it contains something involving negation, or in so far as it is regarded as a part of nature, which cannot be clearly and distinctly perceived through itself without other parts. I could thus show that passive states are attributed to individual things in the same way that they are attributed to the mind, and that they cannot otherwise be perceived. But my purpose is solely to treat of the human mind.
Proposition 4. Nothing can be destroyed except by a cause external to itself. Proof. This proposition is self-evident, for the definition of anything affirms the essence of that thing, but does not negative it. In other words, it postulates the essence of the thing, but does not take it away. So long, therefore, as we regard only the thing itself, without taking into account external causes, we shall not be able to find in it anything which could destroy it. Quad erit demonstrandum. Proposition 5. Things are naturally contrary, that is, cannot exist in the same object, in so far as one is capable of destroying the other. Proof. If they could agree together or coexist in the same object, there would then be in the said object something which could destroy it. But this, by the foregoing proposition, is absurd. Therefore things, etc. Quad erit demonstrandum. End of Part 3, Propositions 1 to 5.